So we're walking alongside the fifth Bolger in Malabolge, the pit filled with black tar. And Virgil and Dante have got themselves into this situation where they're being escorted by a gang of ten demons. The canto begins with Dante, the poet, um, rehearsing um, a series of sort of battle scenes um, that he presumably had seen and remembered in life, uh, where he talks about um, charges going forward, uh, people peeling away, um, trumpet calls, bugle sounds. Um, there's a kind of, um, his situation now, you might say, is reminding him of uh, the sort of chaos of the battlefield, uh, where people are trying to make progress, but as likely to um, be misled or um, come unstuck as they are to actually find a way out. And I guess this reflects something of Dante the Pilgrim's inner state now. Um, this is a deeply unsettling situation he finds himself in, led in part by Virgil. Um, it was Virgil's sort of pride, feeling that he can command the situation um, that has caused this problem. Um, Dante the poet, that said, um, doesn't let up another chance to make um, the bugle joke referring to Malaconda's um, fart. Never have I heard a bugle call like that, um, Dante remarks. He then looks down into the bulger and starts to learn. You remember that Malaconda had half promised him the chance to learn um, the wisdom of this part of Malabolge, um, part of Malaconda's deceit. But nonetheless, um, Dante does take the opportunity to do so, and he notices that um, some souls appear out of the pitch, a bit like dolphins um, riding out of the water, he says. And then other souls, he notice, are along the bulger's banks, like frogs around a pond, keeping just the minimal part of them out of the pitch in order to keep breathing. And it's interesting, there's a lot of nature references in this canto as well. Um, they're going to see another sinner hoiked out of the black pitch. And Dante, at that point, remarks that he looks like an otter. If you imagine an otter's thick fur kind of covered... Um, in um, water and so making it damp and looking thick as if covered in tar. And I just wonder whether these um, nature similes um, in a way counteract um, the military similes of the canto as well. Um, they just provide a bit of hope. Um, you know, when you talk about dolphins and um, frogs around a pond and an otter, uh, maybe that just helps Dante begin to regain his composure here because he's remembering good things in the world above as much as he has to confront, confront um, the darkness that is before him now. And certainly you do get the sense that he's beginning to um, gather his strength again. He's beginning to use his mind. If Dante is learning about the fate of the sinners, he also starts to learn about the way that these demons are actually operating. Um, when they do manage to hoik out one sinner and start to torment him and torture him in the most brutal ways, flaying him alive, having a go at him one after another. It's said that one of the demons with horns started to tear and rip the sinner apart. Um, Dante, in spite of the horror, is learning their names, he says, and he's learning what 
they do, how they act, what their character is, what lies behind their names. And so this sense of him gaining strength even as he looks um, at the terrors that are around him. And I think emphasising that is that Dante also now wants to question a soul. But he asked Virgil to do the questioning. And I just wonder if this is a slightly different dynamic from previous cantos, where we've seen Dante ask Virgil to do the questioning because Dante's been too timid, too frightened. He's wanted uh, Virgil's confidence to take the lead. But I just wonder now whether there might be some of that. But at the same time, Dante is wanting to help Virgil. He's perhaps realising that Virgil has got a bit lost in his own foolhardiness. Um, he's become slightly vainglorious even, you might say, in feeling that he can use God's name to command these demons um, to do his will. And so he wants to get Virgil to question um, the soul as much um, for himself as for Dante's own sake. So Virgil goes up to this soul that's been hoiked out. Um, we don't learn his name. We learn that he's from the kingdom of Navarre. And we also learn that he's a pretty, pretty petty grafter. Um, he, in a way, didn't do much that's wrong. Um, he just made the most of his situations to try and pocket a bit of money on the side. Um, and, you know, that's quite um, hard to hear. That's doubly discomforting for us now because we also learned that, well, he had terrible parenting. Um, his mother gave him into service. She herself having been a terrible spendthrift who repeatedly um, used up all that his father could bring home. So much so that he was driven to the desperation of killing himself. So this story quite rightly raises the question of where is the divine compassion in this? And I'm not sure, but it does seem to underlie that the state of your soul directly affects what you can experience after death. Or to put it the other way around, your eternal state in the depths of your soul shapes what you're able to um, achieve and where you go in this life. So at the very least it's underlining how really important it is that Dante learns these lessons, that we learn these lessons, and we gain the sense that in a way our eternal fate is being forged moment by moment no matter how it might seem that we've got right on our side, um, the right to make these little deceptions, um, to get involved in these little thieveries, these white lies, um, which, if you'll recall, I think Virgil had embarked upon getting them into the mess that they find themselves in now. The chief of this gaggle of demons then turns to Virgil and says, you know, would you like to learn some more? Um, shall we stop our torture so you can ask him further questions? Um, this is this deceit that the demons are involved with. He's pretending to play along with the story that the demons are protecting Virgil and Dante so they can learn the wisdom of the Volger. Um, it's, it's more fakery. Um, but Virgil does take the opportunity to ask another question of the sinner. Um, he asks, are there other Italians in the pitch that you've known and met? Um, the demons can hardly hold themselves back from their sadism. They turn on the sinner once more. But when they ease up um, for a second time, um, our lost soul says, well, actually, yes, there is another 
an Italian that you might know of. He was a friar from Sardinia. And we learn again another story, not so much of petty theft this time, but of, 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 of grand barratry, um, because the friar was a governor and he was able to um, take advantage of all his enemies in life by using his position. Um, and the sinner ends up by saying, you know, that friar even now is talking to another governor of Sardinia who was complicit with him in this theft. And he says their tongues haven't worn out for all the talking. In other words, these souls are indeed completely immersed in their state of their sin, and much as they're immersed in the pitch. Um, you know, as it were, they couldn't think to get out of hell even if they wanted to. They're so obsessed um, with the duplicity of their lives. That seems to be another learning that Dante and Virgil get, even amidst the chaos. Then there's another twist in this mini-drama, because the soul that's been hoiked out gets an idea. Maybe he can draw Dante and Virgil into his bind and hatch a kind of cunning plan of himself. What he does is he addresses Virgil and says, look, if you can get these demons to hold off, I can whistle. And that's a sign to my fellow sinners in the pitch that the demons um, aren't there for the moment and they'll come out of the pitch to relieve that suffering. Um, and the demons, of course, half like this idea because it means that they'll have a whole bunch of other souls um, to attack as well. Um, but they don't quite trust the soul as well they might. Um, his deviousness has been played against their deviousness and so the demons have a bit of an argument amongst themselves about whether they could really trust the soul. Um, and one of them pipes up and says, look, if you try to use this wheeze of whistling um, to escape, then my wings are much faster than your legs and I'll hook you out once more and talk to you um, all the more intently. And Dante remarks, he then sees the strangest of games unfolding. Um, we're invited to ask who's deceiving who now, who's lying to who, who's using truths like whistling, um, because that's a signal to the souls um, to conceal their real intent. Um, the drama is intensifying um, not only the state of mind of the individual souls, but how this little group, this mini society is about to sort of fold on on itself, implode, emphasising the real destruction this kind of fraudulence brings about. Well, anyway, the upshot is that the sinner does manage to escape. He does manage to get back into the pitch and it leads to the to the demons then turning on themselves, in particular two demons, throw themselves at each other. Um, and in their rage, they end up falling into the pitch themselves. Um, the leader of the demon pack manages to keep some mind and he organises the other demons around the bulger to kind of hoik out their now burnt to a cinder fellows. But in the, in the mayhem, um, in the confusion that results, um, Dante and Virgil carry on walking and the canto ends with them, surprisingly perhaps, moving away. <laughs>